Hi, I'm Jesse. And I am Forrest. And this is the Crosscut. Bonsoir. <laughs> a podcast that contextualizes the news of the day with the story, themes, and motifs of a treasured or trash. Or trash. Piece I was trying to think of, of how, you say, how, you, how you say trash in French. I have no idea. I feel like that's something you needed to have prepared beforehand. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> given that you took Spanish in high school. <laughs> yeah, basura. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, we are uh, Frenching it up this week. Wait, yeah, what? what? Ooh. Oh my goodness. <laughs> That's an aggressive intro. <laughs> uh, All right, my is... tongue's out, everybody. <laughs> that came out completely differently than it sounded in my brain. Yep. <laughs> uh, but, you know, live and learn, I guess. Yeah. No, we're, we're covering the wonderful Pixar film Ratatouille. Yay. Woo. Uh, I, was th- I was going through the list, I think probably my second favorite Pixar movie. Oh, okay. I I did not go through the list, but it's definitely up there. Um, yeah, I mean, we saw the news is is awful. Yeah. This so. week. <laughs> well, okay. So the news up until Thursday evening was pretty awful this week. So so earlier this week there was a another school shooting in Tennessee. Uh, we have pretty much made the decision that we're not going to be covering school shootings on this podcast, partially because we don't want to make light of it in any kind of jokey way right or try to to leverage it for any kind of positive benefit out of like you know it turning it into icky, a, yeah it feels strange and um, i don't want to and it's 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 terrible yeah. and and tragic and heartbreaking every single time yeah. and i don't have the bandwidth to emotional bandwidth to to dig into that more than yeah. just all the deluge of things I see in my social media news feeds. Right. Um, and so, so we're not doing that. Um, but obviously please keep in mind the, the, the people who are affected and, and do whatever you can in your local communities to assist with, um, gun violence prevention and also, uh, changing laws to prevent people from having guns. I don't know. Yeah. It's a long, slow, stupid process. I hate it, but we got to do something right. So, um, yeah, there... Moms Demand Action has like lists of people who they support that are in favor of gun reform. Yep. Uh, but here's a shortcut. Uh, you can always tell because almost exclusively the people in favor of gun reform have a D by their name. And the people yeah. who are in favor of laws that support murdering children have an R by their name. Is yep. that too uh, extreme to say? No, no. I think that's how we have to put it. Uh, they love guns. They hate children. Like literally the guy who represents the district where the shooting happened like came out and said like, there's nothing we can do about it. Great. Then don't be in Congress anymore. Like vote for the guy with the D next to his name next time and, and move forward. There is a chart making its way around Instagram and Twitter and whatever. And it's, it's, um, it's got, uh, it it shows that, that guns are now the number one killer of Of children. children, Right. And it shows all the different main things that, that kill children. And the thing that has gone down at the same time as, uh, you know, guns, murdering children has yeah. gone up is car deaths, right? Yeah. And if you if you look at it, there's it, they they decrease and increase at almost at the exact same rate, and then converge and then, and then go the separate, other direction, yeah, yeah. right? Separate and 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 guess what? We were able to bring down those deaths because we had small incremental laws yep. that changed little things around <laughs> car safety a little bit at a time, so that the overall number came yeah. down. We talk about that all the time with our kids because, like, when I was a kid. I think I was Cassius's age and I just sat in the back seat with the seatbelt on. And like, sometimes I would just like take the top part of my seatbelt off because it would rub against my neck weird. Mm-hmm. And I would just have the lap belt or like we'd go on a long trip to the beach and I would lay down 
and not have my seatbelt on yeah. across the back seat. And it's like, oh, no wonder car deaths were a big problem. <laughs> you know, with, and now it's like Cassius is in like a five point harness inside of his own safety seat. He'll and, be there until he's like 15 and, years yeah, old, apparently. It's, it's, <laughs> <laughs> and so it's like, yeah, we made changes to the regulations for what is safe and what is effective and it works. And so we saved a bunch of kids' lives and we could do that with gun regulation as well. But right. like, uh, we when, just have to take the power back from it, that's these exactly right. like, awful people. I, I I do I do think it's it's interesting that we pretend that there's nothing that can be done. And it's like, there are plenty of things that can yeah. be done. We are just choosing as a society yeah. to not do them. And we're choosing as a society to make things less safe for children. That is that is the priority that we have decided to take as a country. Yeah. And we can just stop pretending like that's not the case, right? right? And until, until things actually change. Yeah. Well, uh, the other news story that we're not going to cover is the indictment of <laughs> former President Donald Trump. Not yet, uh, at least. Yeah, we might get there next week, but uh, we, we ran out of uh, time, obviously. Yeah. It was announced last night. Oh, we're recording this on Friday. Right. It was announced on Thursday night. And so, uh, I we, look, we're not going to get into it right now, but I would like to just provide one piece of commentary, which is, ha 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 suck it. I, yeah, I mean, we're going to be scouring IMDb over the weekend, I guess, to see if we can come up with a film that pertains to this situation. However, this situation is so unprecedented that there are no films in yeah. which the filmmaker or writers posit, what if a president were so corrupt and also stupid that they were the first president to ever be indicted. Yeah. That's never been covered in a film right. because it's ridiculous yeah. as a scenario. Yeah. So <laughs> we'll figure it out. Jesse suggested we watch all of Scandal and report back on that. I've one. already, I'm, I'm on top of it. I've been doing <laughs> it. I'm on season six. I'm not going to do that. I don't want to talk about Scandal. This is a Scandal-free podcast. <laughs> uh, only real scandals, not TV scandal. Um, but, but... Uh, we're going to take a break from some of the harsher realities of our just terrible timeline that we live yeah. in. And we're going to talk about some fun stuff this Other week. things in the news. Yeah. So uh, today, maybe a little spooky, we're talking ghost kitchens. Not and that spooky. Not that spooky. <laughs> well, I mean, it depends. If you order something from a restaurant that you think is real and it turns out to be a ghost kitchen, maybe it's spooky. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe your food is haunted by uh, bad stuff. We're going to find out. Well, only one way. Only one way to find out. Let's, Let's get, get into, into it. it. This week, Uber Eats announced it would be cleaning house and removing thousands of virtual restaurants, also commonly known as ghost kitchens, from its app. The move is an attempt to make the app experience feel less crowded for users and to weed out lower quality food listings. Yeah, so we, um, when we lived in New York, uh, our building was uh, on the opposite side. So like where our street was on the street that was parallel on the other side behind our building yeah. had a uh, building that was built brand new and then like closed off with like blocked out windows. Oh yeah. The windows were completely closed. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And all this kind of stuff. And, and all of a sudden on seamless, which is the app that we would use, like seven new restaurants popped up and right. it was like Mexican, Thai, With really Japanese. nice branding. Yeah, great branding. And like the menus looked really good, like very good mm -hmm. and, and stuff. But then like towards the bottom of the menu, you'd see like a lot of stuff that was the same across all of the different restaurants. Yeah. It's like they, they all had like egg rolls or something. I don't know. It was, yeah. And, and then you would order from it and it was all trash food. It was all bad. And then and then you look at the address that's associated with all those restaurants and it's all the same address. Yeah. And it was just that one building that they built. That's right. Right. And 
I walked past it several times because I was like, where are these restaurants? I, I just want to see them. I want to go in and see what these restaurants are. And uh, yeah, I mean, it was just half of our block was just blacked out windows yeah. with industrial like kitchens doors out back that had just, you know, the, the things that you see in the back of a restaurant out yep. back. Yep. Uh, yeah. So ghost kitchens, uh, other names for ghost kitchens. Also, virtual kitchens, virtual uh-huh. restaurants um, is dark kitchens. Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> uh, and and cloud kitchens. I don't like that at that's all. A, that's a bad name. Yeah. That's not applicable or yeah. very good at, at describing what they are no. even a little bit. That just sounds like they're cooking clouds. It's yeah. like foam, but it's the new thing, right? <laughs> That's right. Uh, the Richard, definition. Richard Blaze is in there doing a bunch of stuff or something. Richard Blaze doesn't use foam. It's, it's Marcel, Marcel right. who uses yeah. the foams on Top Chef. Yeah, that's right. So I'm the, just glad he got that movie finally. He the, did have the, to, the snail. He did have to turn into a shell and put shoes on, but womp, good womp. <laughs> no one knows what we're talking about. No one has seen season two of Top Chef <laughs> in, in like 30 years. That's right. All right. So the definition then, uh, what exactly is a, is a, is a ghost kitchen? Do you know? My understanding is it is a physical real kitchen Mm -hmm. that has artificial branding on top of it to Mm -hmm. make it seem like it's a full restaurant, but is in fact just a kitchen that only does delivery. Mm. So I, you know, I think that in our experience, it felt like that. Right. Um, but we, we could say that we, if we're going to strip it down to its most basic definition, that all branding is artificial. Okay. Fair. Yeah. Hey, well, let's get philosophical. Yep. (laughs) Um, as a, as a person who works in, in the advertising, like yeah, you, that's branding is artificial. You right? got me. Yep. Uh, but, but I think even more at its core, these are just going to be kitchens that don't have dining rooms Okay. and they are these sort of culinary concepts that are designed to basically never be a brick and a brick and mortar destination for diners yeah. and to rather have a exclusively online presence and to only deliver food either via their own apps or, yeah. Uh, food delivery apps. Yeah. And and to be fair, like it's not that uh, like unusual of a concept. Like I think it, when we were in New York, like if we ordered from an actual like Chinese food restaurant right. or a Mexican restaurant or whatever, they would have a dining room that had like three tables. <laughs> and right. it's like, no one's intending you to stay there and eat. It's like, <laughs> it's all to go or like delivery. Right, right. And I mean, then that was pre-pandemic. And uh, yeah, my favorite Mexican restaurant was up the block. Oh, and, I still miss those burritos. Oh, they're so good. But the 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 dining experience in the place was also just pretty terrible <laughs> because they played their music way too loud. It was like the loudest jukebox in the world. And the yeah. servers were awful. And yeah. so it was just easier to get your food to go and eat it at your in your quiet apartment. That's right. So according to the Wall Street Journal, which uh, was reporting on this, Uber Eats uh, is now home to more than 40,000 virtual restaurants, which is up from just 10,000 in 2021. So there has been quite the proliferation of ghost kitchens in the past, uh, only, you know, two, two years or so. Who are you going to call? We could have done that, right? Ghostbusters. I think that, uh, doesn't Slimer hang out in a kitchen at some point? Yeah. In a hotel. Yeah. That's right. Uh, but instead we are talking about another movie today yeah. with a ghost in the kitchen. That's right. We're talking about Ratatouille, uh, Pixar's eighth studio release, which is, uh, I don't know, do you do you think you could name the seven that came before? Oh my gosh. Uh, let me go ahead and try it. So we have Toy Story. Yes. Um, I mean, do I have to name them in order? No. No. Okay. Um, a Bug's Life. Yes. Cars. Yep. Uh, la, la, la. The Incredibles. Yes. Um, up. 
Nope, that is uh, right after. Oh. It's actually two after. Wally. That is that's the one directly after. Okay. Um, Toy Story two. Yes. How many have I? So far, you've, you're only missing two. <laughs> um, and I'll give you a hint. Okay. Well, you should find one of them. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, then, uh, Finding Nemo. There you go. And uh, the last one's a little scary. Oh, um, Monsters Inc. There it is. You okay. got them all. Good job for on the spot. That was really, really good. Well, thank you. I watch a lot of Disney. <laughs> yes. <laughs> These are the uh, Cassius approved movies in our house. So thanks, Pixar. Yeah. Uh, for the most part. Um, yeah. So uh, Ratatouille starts out with Remy the Rat, who uh, has a heightened sense of taste and smell. And he's a super, super taster. He's a super, yeah, superhero rat. <laughs> well, no, I was going to say super tasting is a, is a thing, right? Uh, sure, yeah. Super yeah, yeah. smeller, super yep. taster. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, and he and his family and friends live out in the French countryside. Um, he is uh, be- sort of drawn to food because of this heightened sense of uh, smell and taste. And he also watches uh, this guy, Auguste Gusteau, and his his name, Auguste and Gusteau, mm-hmm. can be rearranged to form each other. I don't know why they... Oh, okay. Um, But anyway, he watches his TV show and reads his cookbook and learns about how to combine ingredients to make flavor combinations. Basically becomes a a rat chef while being out in the French countryside. Just hanging out in some old lady's house watching this TV show. Yep. And uh, he does not uh, like want to steal food. He doesn't want to skirt, uh, like, you know, go through trash like the rest of the rats. He tries to convince them that, you know, taste and, and, culinary design is is important uh they end up using him as just like a, a smell tester for poison. rat poison yeah. yeah um but uh overall like that's his starting point he's he's living a fine life you know as a rat but not happy with it he has to explore right that's his his act one is he's got to get out of there and try and find something else uh to do now a couple things uh you know as this film started. It was actually started in the year 2000. Um, oh, and wow. the, the the film directed that we saw was by Brad Bird, written and directed by Brad Bird. Wait, what year did the, did the movie come out, though? 2008. Well, 2007. Man, they have such a long, like, lead time on, yeah. on Pixar films. It was supposed to come films. out in 2006, um, but it got pushed back because Cars came, it got pushed back. So why did cars get pushed back? Uh, I don't know. Okay. Yeah. Um, and so, but it came up, uh, the, so this guy, Jan Pinkava came up with the concept in 2000. He created the original design, the sets, the characters and the core storyline. Okay. Um, he was never formally named the director of the film, but he was working on it. He did right? all the work. He, he did a bunch of work on it <laughs> yeah. early on. Um, in 2004, Pixar didn't like the direction that he was going with the film. Okay. So they brought in someone named Bob Peterson, um, who would eventually go on to direct Up. Okay. Um, and he was named the co-director, and he was given exclusive control of the story. So I think I think Jan Pinkava did a really good job with the like design and the world building and all that kind of stuff, but he just didn't have the narrative structure. And Pixar, as you know, like has very specific constraints on their narrative structure. What do you mean? Like they stick to a formula when it comes to presenting a story. Sure. Yeah. Um, I mean, they, I mean, it works right. And, and, and it's not surprising that in order to maintain their really high level of quality that comes out of that studio, that they occasionally will have a project where they say, you know what, we love the idea of this, but it's not quite up to what we need. And so we're going to have to bring somebody else in. Yep. And so that's, that's what happened here. After three months of working together, uh, Jan and Bob uh, sort of lacked the confidence of story development from the studio. 
So Pixar went and said, oh, you know that guy who did The Incredibles, Brad Bird? He was great. Let's bring him back in. And so Brad Bird took over. Um, he did a rewrite of the story. Um, and this is where we actually get the ghost in the story. Okay. So in the original version by Jan Pinkava, uh, Gusto was actually alive. He actually still worked at the um, restaurant. Oh, okay. And Brad Bird says, that's too much. <laughs> that is too much, man. And so he ended up killing off Gusto. It's too much, be- like in, just in terms of like story to have yes. to keep up with. We yep. don't really care about his life, that's basically. Right. We yeah. care about the rat. and, and We care we about care- what he does for Remy, not what he's doing in his own life. Or what he does for uh, Remy and, and also uh Linguini. That's right. Yeah. Is that his name? Yeah. His yeah, name okay. is Alfredo Linguini. <laughs> we'll get to him in a minute. Yeah. What, what he does for Remy and Alfredo. Yeah. And like, I mean, I could see that, right? If you have these two stories, these are the ones that, that we care about, yep. but then you bring in this other chef guy, you got to obviously build him up uh, yep. and, and, and yeah, that, that is too much. Yep. Who cares? Yeah. So, so what, um, Brad Bird really did was that was the, the first big change he made. Mm-hmm. Um, he, and then he also, uh, gave larger roles to Skinner, who is the, the chef who runs Gusto's. now that Gusto is dead. Uh, the, 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 short the baddie, guy. the baddie short guy. Yeah. Okay. And Colette. So okay. he added more, you know, meat to that, <laughs> to those roles. Um, and then he also made sure to, um, he changed the appearance of the rats mm-hmm. to be more rat-like and less anthropomorphic. And initially they were more like kind of human-esque, maybe like not, I don't want to say like Mickey level, but you know, right, more right. like that. Yikes. Yeah. Okay. So, so good decisions. Yes. <laughs> um, and then the other thing that he did um, was Brad Bird was the one who chose or was, was the one who decided to cast Patton Oswalt as okay. the voice of Remy the Rat. Um, so he cast him in the main role after hearing a stand-up routine uh, where <laughs> Pat Oswald goes into a discussion about the menu of the Black Angus Steakhouse. The ads for Black Angus, have you noticed how it's turned into this gauntlet of angry food? It's like they're almost like challenging you. Like, at Black Angus, we'll start you off with our appetizer platter featuring five jumbo deep-fried gulf shrimp served on a disc of salted butter with 15 of our potato bacon bombs and a big bowl of pork cracklings with our cheese and butter dipping sauce. You're like, um, we're we're all going to split that. Oh, you'll each get your own. Okay. I mean, I think the beginning of that, I can definitely see he's talking about food and and everything like that. It goes a little bit off the rails toward the end in terms of um, his performance as Remy. Uh, yeah. So yeah, this is not a, not a Remy esque <laughs> performance, but I think he just appreciated the idea of someone who could speak that much about food in, in a, in a, you know, sort of impassioned tone. Yes. Yes. Although it's so funny to me how, um, people always claim that vegans and vegetarians are so sanctimonious when I think that people who love meat in that, to that degree are also pretty sanctimonious. Sure. Yeah. Everyone um, just loves the thing they love. I think people, yeah, people just love the thing they love. Uh, it's weird to to hate on people who uh, are just trying to do well by animals and the planet a sure. little bit. But uh, yeah. it's also what I assume like the 90s or right. the whatever well, I, I when think, that like, came out. Yeah, look, like vegans are uh, by any sort of metric correct. Like that is, <laughs> that is how you should eat. Right. I'm, I'm not going to do it. 
I do, I do try to eat less meat. We certainly eat almost no red meat around here. Yeah, we uh, don't eat red meat, and we have at least a couple days of the week where we don't really eat meat at yeah. all because we have tofu and Beyond Meat and yeah. whatever. Yeah, but um, you know, we've been trying. But I, I still do enjoy, you know, some. We still went out on our anniversary and both had two very large steaks. That's true. Yes. Uh, my <laughs> my son this morning said, "Surprise, surprise, chicken thighs." So he, <laughs> he would like chicken for dinner tonight. <laughs> so the only other thing I'll mention in, in terms of setup is. Uh, the animation, I think, it holds up incredibly well. Um, I think it's the art direction and style is is wonderful. And uh, <laughs> Remy, the rat, has over 1.15 million hairs rendered oh my on God. the rat. I know. Whereas uh, Colette has uh, 115,000 hairs rendered on her head. And just to give you a perspective, the average human, and I don't know who came up with this number, mm-hmm. the average human has about 110,000 hairs on their head. So they actually have like real fidelity in Colette's hair for like what human hair would be on a person's head. Oh kind, of, kind of crazy. That's like, that's pretty wild. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so so anyway, uh, they get run out of this nice lady's house. Uh, Remy almost gets shot with a shotgun, which is very aggressive. I did not remember that part of the movie where this lady is just like completely like commando. And- she is like full Second Amendment. They don't have a Second Amendment in no. France. Uh, full on like uh, in her bunker pulling out yes. her gas mask and her like. <laughs> She's some holdover from yeah, World War One in France. Right, starts she's digging trenches and stuff. Clean it, clean in her house like Uber Eats cleans their app. Hey, uh, well, speaking of that, I'm going to get to to your question or to your next part about Uber Eats in a second. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I did want to mention that when Remy ends up in Paris, yeah, he sees Gusto's restaurant. And meets a young garbage boy by the name of Alfredo Linguini. Garbage is, boy sounds like he's made out of garbage. <laughs> yes, it, it sure does. Uh, but uh, also the name Alfredo Linguini is, I, is it racist against <laughs> Italians? Like, I feel like that. Is he supposed know. to be Italian? I assume with the name Linguini. I don't know. I Yeah, it's a weird choice of name yeah. that we don't really ever get any kind of, uh, we don't get any kind of explanation for. They're yeah. just like. Uh, it's like, yeah, his it's name food. is hamburger french fries. Yeah, his name is food. <laughs> yeah. Um, but so Linguini see he he is there, makes a mess of some soup. He sees Remy fixing the soup, uh, because as much as Remy wants to stay hidden, he also is like, ah, don't mess up the soup. <laughs> he's like he's drawn to to having people experience good food. Right. And so he he fixes the soup. And uh th- this is what was was interesting is um where we see some of like the the rat movement and behavior, especially from Remy, mm-hmm. um, the animators at Pixar actually had a rat expert by the name of Debbie Ducomun, and she was called the Rat Lady. Okay, <laughs> uh, she was consulted for rat habits and characteristics. So along with all of her insight, they actually brought in uh, like terrariums or whatever filled with rats and just like installed them in the hallways at Pixar's office for more than a year. So animators could study the movements of the animal, look at their fur, their nose, their ears, their paws, their tails, and the way they ran. And so they just had rats as pets for like a year inside the Pixar uh, offices to study. All right. There are worse fates for rats. Yeah. So... Okay. Yeah. yeah, and we can talk about them because uh, the person who is trying to murder all the rats is uh, the chef Skinner. Right. And so obviously named after an homage to B.F. Skinner. No. The famous I... psychologist who performed experiments with rats. Oh. Yeah. 
Is that right? Yeah. Oh. Yep. Linguini is played by this guy, uh, Lou Romano. No relation to Ray Romano. Oh my gosh. When I was looking through, I definitely thought that it said Ray Romano. Yeah, definitely not Ray Romano. <laughs> Lou Romano was actually, he did work as an animator, I think, on The Incredibles. Like he's not, a he wasn't a voice actor prior to this really. Um, they were just like, yeah, your voice sounds good. Go do it. <laughs> yeah, well, I think, okay, so I, I was looking through and um, Emil, is that the yeah. name of the the rat friend or that, brother? Yeah, yeah. The, the, rat, uh, the brother, yeah. The brother rat. Yep. He also is just an animator or a writer or somebody that works that for That is correct. Star. Yep, yep. They were, they were trying to cast for it and then this other animator talked and they're like, that's the voice we want, so just go do it. He had, he had a great voice and, and every time a Emil, Yeah, every time Emil is talking... Um, the person who did the voiceover had to have food in his mouth because Emil was always eating, right? <laughs> yeah, so that's very funny. It, like Brad Pitt, right? Yeah, that's uh, yeah, that's right. He was the Brad Pitt of voice actors. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, I really like that. I actually think it's, um, you know, you don't see this a lot in a lot of modern um, films, and this is partially thanks to Shrek. But like in animated films now, all of the cast has to be like names, right? Mm-hmm. And it's like that's that's bad. You should just cast people who have the voice that you want. Whether they're famous or not, it doesn't matter. People are going to see the animation, not the names of a famous actor. It actually kind of throws me off a little bit when it's like, you know, Brad Pitt doing the voice of some, you know, you know, dog in some like Secret Life of Pets or whatever. Right. No, I mean, I definitely prefer, you know, like the Little Mermaid is voiced by somebody like Jodie Benson or whatever. I have never heard of. I don't know what she looks like. She is just the voice of Ariel as opposed to Adina Menzel and Kristen Bell who I very much know who they are and sure. I can see their faces as they're singing and talking. And yeah. so it, you're, you know, it, it takes away from the suspension of disbelief yeah. to have it rooted in an actual yeah. person that I know of. Well, and another thing that they did in this movie is all of the actors who were doing the kitchen staff were doing French accents. Yeah, I was wondering. I mean, it's an interesting choice, right? Because I obviously like we are hearing them speak in English. Yeah. Um, and so we are making the choice to say these are people who have French accents. Yeah. So uh, Skinner is voiced by Ian Holm. Mm-hmm. You may know him at, well, Sir Ian Holm, excuse me. You may know him as Bilbo Baggins from okay. The Lord of the Rings. Okay. Um, then Will Arnett does the voice of one of the, sh- the chef's aides, who's mm-hmm. like the guy who went to prison. Okay. Um, that's Will Arnett. Uh, John Rassenberger, the guy who's in all the Pixar movies, right? Um, who does like the voice of the pig, uh, Piggy Bank mm-hmm. in Toy Story. What does he do in this? He's M- Mustafa. He's one of the chefs, oh. but he's doing a French accent. Okay. Um, and, and he said that uh, it was hard for him because he kept slipping into Italian <laughs> <laughs> accent. So they had to do a bunch of, of takes with him. Well, yeah. But, so that was interesting, though, because all of the chefs have French accents, yeah. everybody there. But Linguini does not have a French accent, so he's supposed to just be like somebody who comes from somewhere else. Yeah, he's. It's not known like where he comes from, and his his mother passed away, right? Right, and so um, we don't know why Gusto had this affair with her that born an illegitimate child, and that child then ended up at Gusto's restaurant. Like that's a very like adult theme for this it, movie. Well, and what's funny is that we don't know why he had this affair with her, yeah. but also he must have assumed that he had spread his seed far and wide because he had in his will the stipulation that any heirs that may exist. Yeah. Yeah. Like I'm sorry, I know where all my heirs are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. at this point. Gusto was getting around. Right. Uh yeah. I, with you know, Gusto. Hey. <laughs> oh no. Uh, so anyway, th- th- that's a very adult theme in this film. Right. Uh, also, by the way, this is the only Pixar film that has ever shown anyone drunk. Oh. So. Hmm. Yeah. And hungover, I guess. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, for sure. Um, 
So the other, the only other thing I'll mention about uh, Skinner is there's that part where he's chasing after uh, Remy, who has the the paper, the letter from mm-hmm, Renata that mm-hmm. says, you know, you're you're Gusto's kid, um, and he goes into the water, yeah, um, and he gets out and he's dripping wet when his chef's outfit. So Pixar actually took an employee, <laughs> dressed them in a chef's outfit, and threw them in a swimming pool, <laughs> and pulled them out to see where which parts of the uh, uniform and apron would stick to the body and which ones would be translucent with water absorption and stuff like that. Right. So like when they're animating this stuff, I think they're just having a lot of fun. <laughs> no, I mean, I think so. And it's a, it's a theme that has to my understanding been yes. around for a long time with Disney films, at least, you know, I remember yeah. using, I used to watch the behind the scenes things that they had in the VHS. Those tapes were always nice. Yeah, yeah. For like the lion King yep. or, um, you know, uh, the jungle book or whatever you just, do they have animals that are come into the studio yep. and they can see how fish swim and, and all of these other things. So, yep. Yep. uh, nice to see that that still translates, even though they're doing digital animation. Yeah. Yeah. And this is interesting. They, for the animation here, they actually did frame by frame animation rather than motion capture. For which one? For Ratatouille. So, you know, do you know the difference? No. Okay. So with, with traditional animation, you're saying, okay, I have a a still image Mm -hmm. and I have 24 of those every second. Right. And I have to animate each and every image. Right. Mm -hmm. And so in traditional hand-drawn animation, you would draw a new uh, image. Right. And then you'd put it in front of a camera and turn the pages and it would create animation. Sure. So now you're doing that on a computer. But what a lot of um, animation will do now is use motion capture. So you'll actually have somebody in a suit with little like ping pong balls on it and you'll uh-huh. have them move around and they'll be like running down a hallway and then you'll put that into the computer system and you'll overlay your animatic on top of that. And then it'll just be like um, the animation is created by the real life person running down a hallway, uh-huh. but the animators didn't want to do that because it doesn't make it as, you know, as, is like interesting from an animation standpoint, right? right you can't right. do things that then a human being couldn't do. And in this case, like they had so much fun animating Linguini because he's like the comic relief right. and he's long and stringy and he's doing all these weird, you know, motions with his body. Well, the marionette like, type action, you can't get a person to do that. Exactly. Maybe Jim Carrey. <laughs> but, right, I mean, a person, yeah. like how would you even direct a person to, to right. move their body in that way? So that right. makes sense. And so the, so they animated it um, frame by frame, like you would traditional animation. Even that though sounds tedious. Sure, yeah, I mean, you said, <laughs> you said, why does it take so long? This is why it takes so long. Wow. Yeah. Okay, all right. So the thing I wanted to ask you is, Pixar goes into all this work to make sure that they have really quality animation. Mm-hmm. How are ghost kitchens affecting the quality of app experiences for Uber Eats? Sure. So before we get into that, let's just talk a little bit about the various different um, the different variations that we have of ghost kitchens. Because we got into it a little bit in the beginning, but yeah. there are different ways that a ghost kitchen can manifest within sure, sure. an app. So one of the ways that we talked about, obviously, is that we have these ghost kitchens that are just um, a you know a standalone kitchen. There are five, six, fourteen different yeah, yeah. <laughs> restaurants that are in the same kitchen, they share the same ingredients and and some of them overlap and some of them are different and there's just never an intent for it to be a restaurant or to have people sitting in that space. It is purely a kitchen that serves food out to places. Yeah, and mostly through those delivery apps. That's right. Now, another way that ghost kitchens can appear is they can be 
uh, sometimes they are launched by a restaurant or a company as a virtual brand. So this is gonna be um, a digital only like test run of a concept um, that is under consideration for like a future brick and mortar restaurant. Oh, so it might lead to a restaurant in the future if it gets traction. That's right. Okay. If people if people like this brand of like, you know, Texas Roadhouse right, yeah. puts out their own like little brand of like Texas style salads or, or something Texas like that. Or Texas burgers or whatever, yeah, yeah. Right, and then people maybe like it and maybe that ends up becoming like a fast casual dining experience in the future. Got it, got it. Uh, and then another one, and this is what we have near us, is a virtual restaurant can basically be like an ancillary revenue stream for a restaurant that already exists. Gotcha. So what we have near us is Red Robin, which uh -huh. I never read at Red Robin. It's just not a thing that I think about. Right. Right. But in our DoorDash app, we have an option for a restaurant called Fresh Set. Right. Which so, sounds so clean and happy and healthy. Yeah. Right. Exactly. And, and you know what? It worked because I think that we were going through the app and we yeah. were saying, like, how can I get something that's just a salad that has lettuce that is not just disgusting and iceberg and five days old. Right. And so we ordered from Fresh Set, not knowing that it was just Red Robin. Yeah. And it was cooked in the same kitchen. It was delivered to us. We had no idea it was Red Robin. And well, it was, it was in a Red Robin bag when it got here. <laughs> oh, oh, that's right. And and it was fine. Yeah, yeah. It was it was completely fine. The salads were good. And then we went back, I think, the next time and said, okay, well, what's at Red Robin? Oh, all of the same things. Yeah. Plus wings and burgers and right. fries. Right. Just so a subset of their menu. We should just order from Red Robin. Right. Because I can get all of the salads, but then I can also have other things too for other people in our household yeah. and Corn it worked <laughs> yeah it worked and now we just order from red robin because we saw fresh set and said oh i'd never even thought to think of them for salads exactly yep. and uh so so basically it is this ancillary revenue stream that is rebranding to get people to consider them when maybe they wouldn't have otherwise. Yeah. And so then the question is, how does this affect the experience on Uber Eats or just any of these different, you know, seamless yeah. Grubhub, well, all of those. And, and I mentioned before that there are about 40,000 virtual listings on Uber Eats, uh -huh. um, which is, I think, close to 8% of all the restaurants listed in the U.S. and Canada. Oh, wow. Yeah, so I mean, it's 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 not an insignificant number of restaurants, and the proliferation over the past couple of years has been huge. Uber Eats right now is only going to be cracking down on about five thousand of these ghost kitchens, which is still a lot, right? It's sure. still thousands. Yeah. But they are going after the most extreme sets because what happens is, especially in a place like Brooklyn, yeah, you know, you have. Um, a deli, not even the thing that was next to us where it was like, here's five different restaurants and they serve five different kinds of cuisine right, that are right. all kind of terrible. But it's, here is a single deli that has 14 different listings. Oh, and it's all the same of virtual stuff. brands. Gotcha. It is all the exact same stuff, but it, it crowds up your feed when you're searching for burgers, right? Yeah. And you get five feeds of, or 14 listings of kind of trash food that you right. weren't looking for and sorting through it is kind of a, a mess. Pain, yeah, yeah. And so what they're doing is they're just going after the most egregious forms of of these virtual kitchens. And they're actually not even saying that you can't have virtual restaurants. Right. They're just releasing a new, more stringent set of standards that 
should help cut down yeah. on having these redundancies gotcha. in their listings. So you can have one ghost kitchen. You cannot have 14 ghost kitchens for the same place. <laughs> yeah, or I mean, you can have multiple ghost kitchens, but the 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 new standard basically says that at least 60% of the menu for your ghost kitchen or for your virtual restaurant has to be different from the other businesses associated with Got it. Got it, okay. So it can't just have like overlap. You can have some overlap. Right? right, but the majority right. has to has to be different in order to distinguish itself as a virtual gotcha. brand. So if you did like a, a Chinese food and a Mexican food, you could have rice overlap, but then you also have to have like one has quesadillas, one has like general salads or whatever. Right, and and this also doesn't just go for ghost kitchens, but yeah. it goes, I mean not just for like those purely virtual kitchens, but it also goes for main restaurants and their ancillaries. And so it'll be interesting to see what happens with like Red Robin and Fresh Set or yeah. something like that. Although we go, we we have them through DoorDash again. We're yeah. not using um we're not using Uber Eats. Right. Uh, but it's it's an interesting solve to this problem. The other thing that they're also going to try and do to just increase the quality of what you find is that you, you have to maintain a 4.3 star rating system Ooh. or higher on the app and they have to have 5% or fewer orders that have canceled. Okay. Because I think that, or 5% or lower that are inaccurate. Um, and, and they basically just reserve the right to remove virtual restaurants from gotcha. their platforms. So they're just trying to make a better experience for people who are right. trying to order food. Makes sense. Well, speaking of uh, improving quality and yeah. making a better experience, our friend Linguini got himself into a bit of an issue because he made that great soup and now people are asking for it. So he has to make mm. more of it. So he and he realizes that Remy can understand him. And so they agree to work together by doing what you mentioned earlier, the marionette, right? He tugs on his hair that causes the guy's hands to move. Right. Uh, we never get much of an explanation of that, but who cares? Like it works. Yeah. I mean, they're just like, they sort of discover that, that if he does yeah. this, that the rat can control him. Yeah. I think they do a good job of yeah. not dwelling on yeah. this too much. It is funny that they have the rat like inside of his body, just biting the heck out of him. <laughs> yes. And, and he opens up his shirt and he's just got all these rat bites yeah. and he's completely freaked out by it because like that's bites. the correct yeah. response. Yes, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then, uh, but not only does Remy help Linguini, uh, Colette, we are introduced to, uh, who is the sous chef. Um, or the chef de cuisine. I don't remember exactly, but mm -hmm. um, she uh, tells him that um, the, that uh, he has to learn how to actually work the kitchen. Right. So and how to be a chef. She teaches him how to chop uh, quickly, how to make sure his station is clean, how to make sure his elbows are in, and El to yep. move in a kitchen in a way that you're not going to be bumping into yeah, people. Yeah, because he is alert. long and gangly and all over the place. Right, and it, there, you know what though, like that, there is something to that. Just having worked in kitchens, you you have knives all around you. Yep. You have people carrying hot things. You have stoves, and yep. you really do have to be fully aware of what your body is doing. Yep. And and it's it's hard at first. And maybe yeah. I was like sixteen when I first worked in a kitchen. So, um, it's also you don't have a lot of awareness of your body at sixteen. Yeah, for sure. But uh, it takes it takes getting used to for sure. Yeah, that's right. And so one other thing that Colette does is she mentions that they get the best produce in their restaurant because they bribe the driver a little bit. They give him a little extra something on the side uh, mm -hmm. so that he delivers to them first and they get their first pick of the produce. Um, and so that's how she sort of walks through the professional nature of creating quality in a restaurant. Right. Now, for the animators to create quality-looking food, mm. there's actually really a really big challenge. So making computer-generated images look like food that appears delicious was very difficult. 
So they actually consulted with gourmet chefs both in the U.S. and France. Right. And the animators even attended cooking classes in uh, the San Francisco area culinary schools in order to understand, like, the inner workings of a commercial kitchen, but also what makes food look good and appealing and appetizing, right? Because mm-hmm. um, you actually, like, part of this is making the food look like five-star French restaurant food right. rather than just, like, you know, overly shiny, overly, like, cartoony animated food, right? You want it to look delicious, yeah, I mean, they do a great job. I mean, when you see the ratatouille, for instance, yeah. they do a really great job of showing how it is prepared in the dish and then yep. also how they scoop it out and would plate it and yeah. have it, you know, look similar. But but um, it also has like a good weight to it when, yeah. they're, when they're picking things up. Now, that that final ratatouille was uh, actually designed by uh, renowned chef Thomas Keller. Do you know him? I have seen him on Top Chef. Yeah, so he, <laughs> he is... Uh, the guy who runs French Laundry, which mm-hmm. is a California restaurant, San Francisco-based restaurant, like a Michelin star or three Michelin star restaurant. Yep. Um, and so the producer of the film, Brad Lewis, actually interned with Thomas Keller in the kitchen for French Laundry. And then uh, Keller said that he designed the uh, sort of fancy and layered version of the ratatouille dish, uh, which he calls confit bialdi. Uh, which is just the original Turkish name for the ratatouille dish. Oh, okay. Um, and so the difference there is, um, rather than being like a stew, it's a uh, sliced, thin sliced, uh, you know, squash and eggplant and everything. Right. It's baked and then put together with the sauce. So right, would have taken a lot longer to make that than the um, they show on screen at the very right. end, right? Uh, where the guys just like sitting there waiting and they make it whole cloth just from scratch. Yeah. Uh, that that was the only point of um, contention where I was like this, uh, this this uh, critic, yeah, this food critic Anton Ego, right? He would definitely have left by now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah he's he's certainly writing down in his in his uh, pad like this is taking forever. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> um, but uh, we're getting ahead of ourselves. Uh, after so after the soup. Uh, and Remy and uh, and Linguini start to figure things out. Remy is, oh, I'm sorry, uh, Linguini is tasked by Skinner with the dish of like sh- sweetbreads and like squid. It, it's like a terrible recipe that Gusto came up with forever ago. Mm-hmm. And it got terrible reviews when it came out. And so he's, Skinner is trying to sabotage Linguini by giving him this and serving it. But Remy knows this isn't going to be good. So he mixes it up. He changes the recipe. Yeah, and and uh, Skinner makes sure that before it goes out, he says, "Tell them this is Chef Linguini's recipe," and so he, they do, right? <laughs> and everyone loves it because uh, Remy the Rat changed it up, made it good, mm-hmm. put a different sauce on it, um, and and it goes out, and he's that's he's off to the races. That's how his career gets started. Um, that's right. Well, so speaking of careers getting started, things yeah. getting started, what if we talk about the how ghost kitchens get started? Let's do it. So the, it's an interesting timeline. Uh, and, and, you know, obviously the year is 2023 currently, but this really dates all the way back to 2014, almost a decade ago, uh-huh. where we started to see the beginnings of the rise of ghost kitchens. And, and it goes back to around 2014, where from the time of 2014 to 2019, we see uh, delivery sales, global delivery sales, more than double. Okay. So we have this huge proliferation, again, of these delivery sales. And, I mean, my guess is that that's when we started to see our first delivery apps appearing. Yeah, that's probably right. Because prior to this, what food would you get delivered if you lived in 
you know, pizza, Tallahassee, yeah. the kind of the only thing is pizza. Yeah. Right. That I remember ever getting delivered growing yeah. up. And then like in New York, you could get like, you know, Chinese food or whatever delivered as well, but not from every restaurant. No. And certainly, like, not quickly. <laughs> you would also have to have a million different, like, little flyers from the restaurants yeah. in your house and then call them up yep. individually, talk to somebody, and they would come and deliver the food to yep. you. And you would have to have um, – well, I guess you could use a card. We used a card. But you would just yeah. give them the card number over the phone. So yeah. it was a whole big process. It certainly wasn't streamlined, and it was really only available You would in- say it wasn't seamless? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, no. <laughs> right. It didn't exist in a, a hub of any kind for grub. They wouldn't dash to your door. <laughs> um, right. That's exactly correct. Uh, and and it was something that was really only available in more densely populated urban areas because sure. that's where drivers or delivery people could be on bicycles. Yep. And come to your place. That was the only place that made sense. Within like a small geographic region related to the restaurant. And so we see these apps come up. And I think that the apps really did, Seamless, Grubhub, all of these really did start in places like New York and Brooklyn and San Francisco, Francisco, LA, these still densely populated places where they could get a foothold in these restaurants. But slowly between 2014 and 2019, they do expand in popularity both in those urban areas and then in other places as well. Yep. And around 2017 or 2018 is when we started to see the, that ghost kitchen in, yeah. in our area where we see this. And, and that makes sense because in May of 2018, Kitchen United opened its first location. So Kitchen United is basically um, a company that employs uh, many different restaurants and kitchen centers within a single space. Oh, okay. So that was one of the very first um, openings of these kitchens kind of in in the world. And right around this time at the end of 2019, again, this is Mm pre-pandemic, we saw cloud kitchens, which I guess is where they come up with the name of like the reference for cloud kitchens. Is, right, right. This is a company, all one word, cloud kitchens. Oh, I see. Uh, is a startup that is from Uber's former uh, chief executive, uh, Travis Kalanick. Who Boo, raises. Oh, he sucks. Oh, okay. Well, he raised $400 million from sure. Saudi Arabia's public investment fund mm. uh, to basically buy cheap real estate and then build shares of kitchens for, uh, shared kitchens for restaurants to rent in the United Kingdom. States, China, India, and the United Kingdom. Now, why does he suck? Uh, I mean, he's a very big, like, Anne Randian, Blah. like, you know, super per- human person or whatever. Like, he's, he, I mean, his entire ethos is, like, destroy labor, take their capital, create wealth for himself. Like, he's a, a big old steaming pile of dog poo. Oh, okay. And he's exactly the kind of person who would take money from a government that murders journalists. Right. Well, I mean, and we'll get to the sort of darker or like the 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 downside of a lot of these kitchens later. Darker than murdering murdering journalists and chopping them up with hacksaws. (laughs) Uh, Definitely not darker than that, but I think just darker than like we have uh, sort of a scammy product on an app. Yeah. Uh, No, the but but we'll get into the downside of of these kitchens, and I think that's probably very much in line with what you're describing. Yeah. uh, Later in the podcast, after this, obviously, we said this was the end of 2019. What comes right after that? 2020. The beginning of 2020, (laughs) the end of eating 
inside restaurants for a while for yeah. for, for kind of for, for years right yeah. for a lot of people and we still don't really eat in restaurants at this point yeah i think uh i just saw a survey result and i don't know where from so apologies for not citing my source but 42 percent of people are still nervous about eating in restaurants yeah i mean i'm nervous about eating in restaurants because uh, like i i don't feel great being in enclosed spaces right. yeah. but also because we have children <laughs> yeah i mean we don't like we've gone to restaurants a few times since the like in the last year yeah but not regularly and certainly no. not with our kids but that's a different thing <laughs> that's yeah absolutely uh and and so we saw really just a, a crisis for yeah. the restaurant industry at the beginning of 2020. And I think that we all remember it. We were all staying home. We were on lockdown um, and places where people congregate and shove things in their mouths and their open mouth holes without any kind of masking yeah. uh, kind of became, you know, unheard of. Yeah. Uh, so this was a, a headline then from July of 2020, which said the pandemic has hit restaurants hard, but experts say that the ghost food hall concept might save them. So a ghost kitchen then obviously is a single kitchen where we have a bunch of different brands and they are owned by the same place. Yes. A ghost food hall is where you have a bunch of different, differently owned restaurants mm -hmm. from different people. And so it's really like the structure of the financing. Got it. Okay. That distinguishes it. And the ghost food hall is basically a place. It's, it's kind of like a combination of ghost kitchens and then food halls. Right. We like, have a bunch of like there are a bunch of food halls in Raleigh, for instance, where it's like you walk in, it's kind of like a mall. And it's like a like food a, court that's not attached that's to that's right. Mall. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, and the food is like slightly better quality than you'd get at like a mall. Well, I mean, it sort of depends on the the places in the food sure, hall sure, because sure. there's a food hall in Midtown Manhattan, and they have a Roberta's Pizza. Right, right, and right. it is fantastic. Sure, yeah, you know, so it sort of depends on who yeah. you get to be there. But ghost food halls. Uh, started appearing around the middle of 2020, toward the end of 2020, and I'm going to go quickly through this, but toward the end of 2020, you also started to see um, other other larger restaurants jumping on the bandwagon like Chipotle, um, and things were looking really, really bad at this point for mm -hmm. kind of all restaurants except for ghost kitchens and except for delivery services. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it was something like nearly two-thirds of New York restaurants um, according to the New York State Restaurant Association, said that they were likely to close by the end of the year without some kind of financial relief. Um, employment in restaurant and food service jobs were down by 2.5 million since February of that year. And uh, 20 to 25% of independently owned restaurants basically uh, were predicted to never reopen. I mean, oh, that's wow. a quarter that's a of huge... all restaurants. Just gone. Gone, right? Just ghosts. Right. And, uh, and so in November of that year, Chipotle... Uh, opened their first ghost kitchen. You also saw other brands such as McDonald's, Chick-fil-A, Qdoba, opening up various different concept restaurants, ghost kitchen mm -hmm. type situations in small amounts in places like London. So it went from being this concept early in the year that that some people were using to stay afloat to being an additional source of revenue for really major restaurants. Interesting, yeah. yeah. And then the final thing I will note is that in October of 2021, Merriam-Webster added the term ghost kitchen to their their dictionary. Oh, well, there you go. So yeah. that's how you you cement your status as uh you know the the death of an industry. <laughs> right. Well, and it was a, it was added with an addition to it was added in addition to other sort of covid related words. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um curbside delivery okay. was another phrase that was added to Merriam-Webster that year as uh, in addition to vaccine passport and long covid. Okay. Gross. Well, 
Speaking of things uh, that are related to death, oh, let's talk Anton Ego. <laughs> oh my goodness! Okay, let's uh, do it. Because his uh, negative review of Gusto's restaurant mm-hmm. was inadvertently responsible for the death of Auguste Gusto. Right. That's um, what he he was murdered. Yep. Yeah, so he he uh, gave him a negative review that cost them a star. Mm-hmm. So they became a four star restaurant. Once uh, Gusto passed away, they lost another star, just out of tradition, I guess. <laughs> and became a three-star restaurant. Um, and Ego's actual um, office, when they show him in his office writing, mm-hmm. uh, is shaped like a coffin. And his typewriter is shaped like a skull. And so he oh. is he is uh, presented as the writer of these, quote-unquote, killer reviews. Right. Um, the voice of Anton Ego. Do you recognize him? He's a classic, uh, amazing British actor. Is it Jeremy Irons? No, although good guess. Uh, Lawrence of Arabia himself, Peter O'Toole. Oh, okay. Is the voice of Anton Ego. Um, And so he's obviously animated to be very thin. Uh, Mm -hmm. They make a comment about that. Linguini says, for someone who likes food so much, why are you so thin? Mm -hmm. Um, Very, very good. Sick burn. Good job, Linguini. (laughs) Like on the fly, too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And, you know, uh, I, I, I think that he is... An incredibly well-done villain. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that his his turn at the end is incredibly... Heartwarming. Yeah, heartwarming. And and the things he says about criticism are, are great. Where he's like, you know, after he tries the ratatouille, he's like, we critics, we risk very little, um, you know, and we hope people believe, you know, what we say and when we try to influence things, but we don't actually create. Um, and I, I uh, agree with that. It's why on this podcast, like, I try not to be you know, overly critical of the movies we watch. Like, well, I'll tell you whether I liked it or not, but I'm not like, this is a bad movie. Like, everybody has their own Yeah, I mean, we vibe. don't choose movies that we actively hate. We might choose movies that are not necessarily well-liked in the yeah. zeitgeist, right. uh, but well, look, we're not choosing them because we were trying to hate on them. Yeah, I did not like Triangle of Sadness, but if someone does, I'm like, I, I get what you would like about it. It just didn't work for me. Right. Um. Anyway, so, uh, you know, I, I appreciated that turn at the end. Um, speaking a bit more of death and decay, uh, the animators, uh, had to study, uh, dying, uh, produce. So they had 15 different kinds of produce, such as apples, berries, bananas, mushrooms, oranges, broccoli, and lettuce. And they very, they studied them in the various stages of rotting so that they could mm. create realistic compost for ah, the compost pile. So this, in this is room. a podcast about trash cinema. Hey, there it is. Oh, is compost <laughs> trash? It might be. It's different. It's it's useful trash. Mm-hmm. Useful trash. That's what we'll call our bad movies that we watch. <laughs> um, but yeah, so, uh, you know, after uh, we are introduced to Anton Ego, um, so, I mean, mostly in the middle part of the movie, uh, as he confronts um, Linguini, uh, Linguini takes credit for Remy's cooking at a press conference, which is where Ego shows up to challenge him to a review or whatever. <laughs> um, so Linguini and Remy have a falling out. Uh, Remy tries to, uh, lead his family into the kitchen to raid it. And Linguini sees that. Right. And they argue and they say, get out of here. And he says, I'll show you what we do to rats and blah, blah, blah. Anyway, it's a big falling out. It's the end. It's the end of act two. It's That's the, right. the, the Nadir. Uh, and it leads to, um, you know, Linguini not knowing what to do. He has to, he has this big thing coming up, uh, where he has to impress Anton Ego. He can't cook. He can't cook, but he's also not really a leader in the kitchen. Right. He's trying to rally and uh, get his 
troops, so to yeah. speak, to to get ready and hyped up. And yeah. he does a terrible job. Yep. And Colette is the one who has to step up and, and get them moving forward. Um, and, you know, so it shows that she is, in fact, <laughs> should, should be the leader of this. She issue. should be the leader. And you get the sense throughout the film, but really here that she has been kind of the whole time. Yes. Um, quick question. Do you know who does the voice of Colette? No. You're not going to believe it when I tell you. Okay. Janine Garofalo. Oh, okay. Yeah. She does a great job. She's amazing. I, I didn't I think could, it was Janine Garofalo at all nope, the whole time. And I'm, I couldn't have picked it in a million years. Like she really, really solid voice acting. The other thing that's interesting about Colette's character in the animation style is Brad Bird, when, whenever possible, made sure that it was a woman who was animating Colette. So it was not a bunch of dudes just, you know, taking uh, this woman character and animating her and, and, and drawing her. Okay. Okay. And and was that just because he didn't want to have like the male gaze, Probably. I guess, in a, yeah. in a way, or he yeah. wanted to just make sure that it, I mean, you know, I guess a problem yeah. that um, you see in uh, some Pixar films, potentially a problem, sure. right? Is that you do still have like all, almost all men. Yeah, 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 doing doing the animating and, and the writing and then right. whatever. And there certainly, uh, speaking of the dark side of things, have yeah. been accusations and have been- oh, Lasseter, yeah. Yeah, sure. um, you know, boys club type stuff and just like sexism and, and whatever going yeah. on with Pixar behind the scenes. Mr. Unwanted Hugs. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Which well, just sounds terrible anyways. But then you have people like um, Mrs. Fantastic. Elastigirl, sorry. Elastigirl, who I'm assuming was designed by men. Oh, sure. She's got like a the little skinny booty. body, big old booty, um, and is very like sexy in the way that she is. And I mean, I get why they do it, but it, it doesn't feel like it was designed by women. Sure. Yeah. You know, so that's interesting. Yeah. And, and Brad Bird was the guy who did Incredible. So it's possible that he was like, okay, we need to... <laughs> and I could be wrong about that. Yeah. Maybe, maybe she was designed by women, but uh, it doesn't, it, it doesn't have that feeling. It definitely right. is like, Hey, check out this, right. this butt. But no, there's no, there's no point in this where Colette seems like she's trying to attract like, and like sexy vibes or whatever. Like she's no, like, she's, she's all business. She's business. Yeah. So um, anyway, uh, you, but you mentioned the dark side of, of all these things. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you want to talk dark side of ghost kitchens? The, the, the afterlife of ghost kitchens. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, yeah, you know, I mean, I think that it's, it, so I was thinking of the scene, right, where it, it makes me think of the scene in the movie where Linguini is cleaning up that kitchen entirely by himself. Yes. Right. He, he gets wasted and, uh, with the, with his boss and yeah. the boss is like, Hey, here's a, here's the entire kitchen to clean up. And it made me think of what we know about ghost kitchens and how, uh, first of all, food safety. Yeah. Right. Uh, this was a problem that we had with the one that opened up near our house in New York it is the law that yeah. any restaurant you walk into has to have their rating posted on the window yep. for uh, for food safety. And so you always know when you're going in uh, whether Can I trust not. it? <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, if something has a B, yeah. Don't you, eat there. you should not be eating there. Like, you, you should You need to be getting the hell out yeah, of there. Yeah. And, but with ghost kitchens, there's no place to post it. Right. So there's no way to know what the rating is for the food safety in that restaurant. Um, and so that's, that's one thing, right? It, it makes it kind of impossible for customers to really track what that safety record is. Uh, but also you end up having, you know, potentially, um, employees being taken advantage of having low rages. There are a more vulnerable staff mm-hmm. a lot of times because maybe they don't speak English right. um, as their first language, or maybe they are not necessarily documented workers. Mm-hmm. 
uh, you have people who are cut off even more, isolated even more than traditional kitchen staff from the outside world right. and just put into these giant warehouses. They are paid incredibly low wages. There is almost no protection for things like health insurance, vacation pay, labor unions. Um, there's no visibility to these people either, right? right. Like it's, yeah. And then on top of that, there's nowhere to complain because a lot of times these are going to be pop-up locations that could move at any point. So the labor department can't even go to inspect them because where is the actual physical kitchen? Right. Right. So yeah. there's, there is a very much a potential dark side to these kitchens that it's going to be interesting to see, I think, what happens in the next five to 10 years, if that's something that gets addressed. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, it's interesting to think about. And I, I don't think like, I think the innovation and the idea of like having kitchens that are focused on delivery only is not that there's not a bad thing. Right. Right. It just, I think the changes that we need are larger in the restaurant industry writ large, which is how do we ensure that you're, you know, <laughs> you're taking care of the employees that you're hiring right? Like the restaurant industry has been notoriously terrible at doing so from everything from like tip wages to lack of benefits. So this isn't new. It's just, they've come up with a way to exacerbate problems that already existed in the industry. Right. And it doesn't bode well that, as you mentioned, the person who is like the CEO of these companies yeah. and raising money is all about like Ayn Rand, pull yeah. yourself up by your bootstraps, take advantage and extract as much labor for your own profit as possible. Yep. yep. Uh, that's, that's not great. He's a bad person. Uh, but you know, who's a good person who, uh, Remy the rat was well, good rat. <laughs> <laughs> like, he's not he's, a good, he's good people. He's yeah, good people. Yeah, yeah. Um, so he and Linguini make the, the ratatouille that we already talked about. Mm-hmm. They serve it to Anton Ego, takes him back to his childhood with his little mama, yeah. uh, giving him, uh, his, his little bowl of ratatouille back then. Uh, he writes a lovely review of the restaurant. Um, and then what I appreciated as a turn was, oh, but then the restaurant got shut down because we, the health inspector had come by, Skinner, right. Skinner saw the rats. Speaking of we, food safety. Yeah. We had to, <laughs> we had to like tie them up and throw them in the freezer. Uh, so eventually we of course let them out and they, they quote unquote ratted, ratted us out. out. Hey. Hmm. And so they had to close Gusto's Linguini and I believe Colette and Remy the rat opened up their own delightful looking little bistro right. called La Ratatouille. And uh, that's the end of our movie. Not the best the... branding, though. Speaking of branding. It does have a, does have have a picture of a rat on a the front. Yeah. Rat in the logo. Yeah. Fun uh, fact about that. No, there was very limited opportunity for like product tie-in or brand tie-in right. with Ratatouille because no food brand wanted to be associated with rats. So yeah. like, they're, they're like, oh, can we put a toy on like a McDonald's Happy Meal? They're like, absolutely <laughs> not. <laughs> Heck no. Nope. Uh, that's, that's very funny and makes perfect sense. Yeah. 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 The one thing, um, I, that I will add is we went to Disney recently, which is why we had that break earlier. Yeah. And, um, if folks, if you get a chance when you, if you go to Disney world in Orlando and, uh, you have the opportunity you're in, uh, I think it's in Epcot, it's in, Epcot in France. Yeah. The, the Ratatouille ride is just mwah, chef's yeah. kiss. <laughs> and, uh, I, Truly, I was telling Forrest because we were talking afterward about what's your favorite ride in all of Disney. And this is this is it. This is my favorite ride in all of Disney. I think after we went through all of the various different experiences, yeah. uh, just an absolutely seamless hey. integration of all sorts of technology. You have 3D glasses. They have trackless. Yeah. Um, a, like a magnets, trackless ride yeah. where, it's, yeah, the floor is just a giant magnet and moves the, the seat that you're 
in around independently of any kind of tracks from like magnets under the floor. And then, you know, you see the ghost, ghost Gaston. Yeah in with your 3d glasses on just floating around like next to your face yep it is amazing there's a point where you're just you're a rat going around a kitchen and they spray you with water <laughs> it is a very like it's a 4d in, ride yeah it is an immersive experience yeah. you're uh, you know you're under um you're a, under a stove a and, stove and, and it gets warm yeah the fire catches on and it warms you up yeah it's it's just such a fantastic ride uh definitely my favorite uh of, yeah, the, cool. of the disney rides yeah um so uh, that's your review of Ratatouille the Ride. Yes. Let's talk about reviews of Ratatouille the Movie. All right. Uh, Rotten Tomatoes has this at 96% approval rating, uh, which is an average rating of 8.5 out of 10. Okay. Uh, Metacritic has 96 out of 100, so basically the same. It is the highest Pixar film in Metacritic. It's also in their top 50 films uh, rated on Metacritic. Okay. It unfortunately opened to $47.2 million at the box office, which was the lowest Pixar opening since A Bug's Life. Oh. So didn't do super well in the U.S. domestic box office, at least initially. However, in France, where the film is set, obviously, it broke the record for the biggest debut of an animated film. It also dethroned Titanic for the most consecutive weeks at the top of the box office. Oh. So Titanic had led that for, you know, whatever it was, a decade or so. In France or in America? In France. In France, yeah. okay. Finally, uh, it grossed over $200 million in the United States and over $623 million worldwide. So it was the seventh highest grossing Pixar film uh, at the time of this reporting. Mm-hmm. It was also, at the time, the most nominated animated film at the Academy Awards. It had five nominations Uh, It won for Best Animated Feature Mm -hmm. and was nominated for Best Original Score, Best Sound Editing, Best Sound Mixing, and Best Original Screenplay. Sound Editing and Sound Mixing and Screenplay all for, for like, competing with, like, all films? Yes. Wow. Yep. So it lost Screenplay to Juno. It lost the sound categories to the Bourne Ultimatum. Hmm. And it lost score to Atonement. I don't know the Atonement score, but the the score for Ratatouille should have won because I I just put it on every once in a while yeah. and it's amazing. I'll it just, so I'll, all of a sudden I'll hear music and think like, am I in a French restaurant? Oh, this is the yeah. Ratatouille score. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's yeah, that's not surprising. It is. I mean, yes, I recommend this to anyone. I think it's also interesting and and speaks really highly of again the background that they put into. Um, the, the the work that they put into like providing background and and pro- making it feel real yeah. that people in France saw this movie and said yeah this feels real oh you mean they said yeah this feels real <laughs> uh yes oh <laughs> mon ami I mean especially because in, in France like they kind of hate everything right like the French are not sure. known for being like ebullient over <laughs> you know culture yeah, pop culture that's I, not from france yeah but i think they they love uh, like anyone seeing themselves on in the movies yeah that's fair i but i think that that they must have done a good job yeah with making france and paris feel authentic that sure. they were yes. able to gain such widespread support in france and yeah in paris. yeah the directors and animators did spend time in france they went to like the top five restaurants in france they did mm-hmm. a motorcycle tour of the city they tried to get the the vibe and the feel yeah yeah, yeah. so cool well good for them yeah. uh so thoughts do you recommend yeah absolutely of course five, <laughs> five stars this movie's incredible it's yes. uh wonderful and uh, a genuine joy to watch i'm glad they made a, a ride out of it at disney uh mm-hmm. it's it's a lovely little world to be a part of um, it's a great movie. Yeah. 
Absolutely. Uh, I wholeheartedly agree. Love it. Uh, definitely um, a film that uh, is, is top of the list in terms of uh, just all films, not even just animated. Yeah. You know? Yep. Agreed. Cool. All right. Well, I think that does it. Yeah. Do, what's your favorite Pixar movie, by the way? Do you have one? My favorite Pixar movie? Oh, shucks. Yeah. I mean, I think it's going to come down to either Monsters, Inc. Okay. Or Finding Nemo. Okay. You know, those are obviously, I mean, I love them all, right? Yeah. Um, but Monsters, Inc. is one. I mean, I just love the soundtrack in it so much. Yeah, it's good. And they're so funny and I have watched it over and over and over again. Um, and I would say that, you know, Finding Nemo is is a classic. Uh, the Incredibles is also good. So yeah. I, it's it's so, it's hard to choose. I don't okay. know. What about you? Oh, Wally. Okay. Yeah. yeah without yeah. a doubt. Like just. Yeah. And I do love Wally. You know what? I love the first third of Wally. The first act is fantastic. The last two thirds is good. Yeah. Right. But I. That's a criticism a lot of people have of it, and I don't I don't buy into it. I think like the second half follows up on the first half really well, and so. I don't, I don't share that opinion, but I, but a lot of people have it. So that's fair. Yeah. Right. I think that for me, I just, um, it, it, there's something so special about that first Like 45 minutes. Yeah. You know, that is, is is so new and done well. Fun Um, fact. Yeah. Uh, the, the original plan for Wally was in the second half, the humans would have been so far removed from like being human that they actually wouldn't have been able to speak. They would have just been like grunting. She's like, uh, 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 <laughs> like with her like cups of like, you know, frozen liquid beverage and right. stuff like that. And so the whole film was originally concepted as being non-verbal. That is bleak. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think that's why they changed it. Uh-huh. And so I think uh, like there, there are people who are like, well, if they'd done that, it would have been the best film of all time. I'm like, no, if they'd done that, you wouldn't be able to show it to children. <laughs> that would have been that would have been so depressing. Yes. That would have been such a, a downer. And and I mean, even still, they get to Earth and you're like, how are these blobs yes. going to exist on a place that has gravity? <laughs> they literally have one plant. <laughs> right. Um, but but yeah, to to take away their speech, that would have been, I think, just a little yep. bit too much. Yep. So I mean good choice. <laughs> I, I, I understand the idea behind it, which is like, oh, we can make this entire film without you know words. Uh and that would wouldn't that be an interesting challenge? And yeah, sure. But like at a certain point, you have to like make a film people would watch yeah. and not feel bad about. That was the right choice. <laughs> yep. 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 Absolutely. All right. Well, <laughs> um, I think that's going to do it for us today. Yeah. Thanks, everybody. Please remember to rate, review and subscribe. And if you haven't checked out the newsletter yet, it is thecrosscut.substack.com. I actually am working on another post right now, Ooh. which I know quick, quick run up. But uh, the there was an idea. So Creed uh, 3 yeah. just dropped on VOD today. Mm. We saw it in theaters. It's actually performed really well in theaters. And so the the question is, are they releasing it on VOD too early? Are they cannibalizing some of their theatrical dollars by releasing it on VOD? And I'm going to write uh, a little something about how do we know? How can we know if that's the case? Ooh, how can we know? Ooh, I'm excited. Read the damn post. I'm excited. I'm excited. I know. That's what I'm saying. I'm excited to hear it. Okay. Uh, yeah. And so have a good weekend, folks. I uh, We're going to be, again, looking for that perfect, yeah. perfect fit film. Who knows what it's going to be? Uh, we've got a few ideas, but <laughs> but we'll see how things sort of shake out in the next couple of days also. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe, maybe we'll do the one with Jack Lemmon and uh, Walter Matthau. We're Matha, not doing that. Where they're presidents on the run yes, from the law? Yes, we're not doing no? that. No? I mean, look, if, if Trump <laughs> absconds and starts running through the swamps of Florida, then yes, we'll do that one. Yeah. But... <laughs> so, there's, so you're saying there's a chance. There's a chance. <laughs> 
Uh, all right, guys. Um, yeah, follow us on Twitter. We are at the Crosscut, Instagram at the Crosscut Pod, and uh, have a great weekend. Bye, everybody. Bye. Precious, what do you think a ghost kitchen is? Um, a ghost in the kitchen. You think there's a ghost in the kitchen? Yes. What does a ghost do? Does it cook food? Yeah, what does a ghost do? It eats everyone's food without anyone noticing. Oh, my goodness. Oh, wow. So kind of like Slimer and the Ghostbusters. Does it have a favorite kind of food? Uh, Pizza. Ghosts prefer pizza. Oh, yeah. Ghost Kitchen prefers pizza. Well, yeah. I would say that the first Ghost Kitchens actually did heavily feature pizza. That's probably true, yeah. Yeah. Okay. I thought they would be more into fruits. You know, like booberries. Ooh. Oh, sousaries. Okay. okay. <laughs> Do you remember in Ratatouille that there was a ghost in that kitchen? Yeah. Yeah? But it was a friendly ghost, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. What do you think about the movie Ratatouille? Mm, scary because of that gun and the start. At the, you're right. You remembered the gun at the start of it. Yep. What? When did you last see that movie that you saw the gun? Is that a long time ago? Yep. Wow, that's quite the that's quite the memory, bud. Yeah. yeah. And I do not like guns. Well, you know what? Neither do I. And uh, I was a little bit surprised that there was a gun at the beginning of that movie also. Why? Well, because <laughs> those kinds of movies don't usually have guns in them. Uh, what else did you think about the movie? Scary. What about the... What about Remy the rat? The rat, yeah. Pretty funny. Yeah, yeah, pretty funny. What about when the rat would make the guy move all around by pulling his hair? <laughs> funny. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, thank you very much, Cassius. I appreciate you answering my questions. that's the end.